Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. One of the most surprising business booms during the pandemic were sports cards. That's right. Sports cards are now a $5.4 billion industry, and demand was so high, stores like Target pulled its boxes of cards off the shelf. Well, despite this, the market continues to grow and adapt to new technology like blockchain and NFT. Cards even captured Wall Street's attention. Joining us now to talk about the trading card phenomenon is Jason Hoarth, Vice President of Marketing of Panini America. Jason, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing great. And I got to, before we get into this NFTs a little bit later, let's talk about the reasons why Target pulled trading cards from its shelves this spring. How did it happen? Why did it happen? I mean, most people who are selling stuff don't pull it. They want more of it out there. Great point. Great point. They just couldn't keep it on the shelf. That's what it came down to. I, I like to say that Target and those mass retailers, they're used to having events where people come in for gaming consoles one time for one day, you know, and it sells out or a Black Friday moment. It's one day and all the people are lined up. They were having that and experiencing it every, every week when Panini trading cards were going into the stores and on the shelves. So people were lining up every week waiting for the product to hit the shelves and then running in and grabbing as much as they possibly could. So they tried to manage that process, limiting how many products you could buy at one time. We were like toilet paper in the middle of the pandemic. You could only get two boxes and two rolls of toilet paper. It was crazy. For those I that mean, understand... Uh, like yeah, well, I got to imagine, what were the meetings like inside your company when you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is going on, this is happening? I mean, what are you guys thinking? Well, I mean, we loved it. We, you know, obviously we've been building this business for so long to see that momentum and see the snowball effect just continue has been really, um, you know, inspirational to us and aspirational. We're excited about what's happening in the marketplace and what's happening around the globe with trading cards. So to see that, you know, it just kind of hit home, I, I would say to people that didn't understand trading cards, when all of a sudden you're taking a picture of like a screenshot at Target that says, you know, limit two two rolls of toilet paper, two boxes of Panini NFL trading cards or Panini NBA trading cards. You know, that kind of really reinforced it to, you know, I know for my parents to be like, wow, okay, I, I understand now. Yeah, the kids arrived. The kids arrived. He's finally got a job worth worth mentioning. I mean, he's right up there with uh, restricted toilet paper, right? I mean, that's exactly. part of <laughs> I, I never would have thought, but hey. Well, it's kind of like during the pandemic, we also limited some supplies like milk and, you know, yeah. bread and uh, other items that you could. I mean, you couldn't even buy certain kinds of soup, for instance, because they were people were just making a run on it. What yeah. do you think fueled the pandemic trading card boom? I think there's a couple of different things. So I, we, I mentioned this momentum that started to build and we started to see it three or four years ago. And, and I always kind of equated to rookie classes because that's what we live live by in the trading card category. So it started with the Jason Tatum rookie class on the NBA side. And then you follow that up with the Luka Doncic, Trey Young rookie class, and this momentum continues to build. And then you leading it lead into that with the Zion Williamson, John Morant rookie class, which was that, that class that 
impacted the most by the pandemic. They started their season and then it, and then it stopped in March. But we started to see that excitement and energy in the marketplace, you know, going back to that summer when Zion and Ja were rookies and the excitement and anticipation for that product to come out. And then the pandemic comes, none of us could anticipate that. And what's happened over the last several years, the last seven or eight years, case breaking, this online community where people are opening up products online and, and showing off the cards. Little did we know that that was going to be the best socially distanced activation you could have you know, in the middle of a pandemic where literally everyone could be sitting on their couches at home opening up product through case breaking and still feeling a part of the community. And I think that really kind of built up. And then you have the effect of nostalgia coming into the mix where people are just looking back at, you know, a lighter, easier day and remembering what it was like to collect cards when they were kids and pulling them out and then realizing what the cards look like now compared to then uh, definitely had an impact. And then of course, the value of the cards, you know, we've got so many people coming into the space right now that are looking at, at looking at it as another way to diversify their portfolio. I think traditional trading card collectors always had that as a diversification of their portfolio. But now mainstream is realizing that one, it's fun. It's a great experience. No matter how old you are, when you get a pack of cards in your hand, you just want to see what's inside. And if you open up a pack of cards and it happens to be your favorite player or a player from your favorite team, or one of those top rookies, the emotion and and that connection is just irreplaceable. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And that's what the power of trading cards is all about. So I think all of those things really continue to build that momentum and that snowball effect that has taken us through the pandemic and and still is continuing today. But you don't know that you're going to get one of those winners unless you open it, till you buy it and open it. So there could be some disappointment. But by and large, I mean, you're still getting a card. So that's the key thing, right? You don't know if it's going to be that card or the card, right? And Jeffrey, there are some people that'll buy that product and won't open it at all because they know the power of that class. And they think that the value of that box will continue to go up over time as these players perform on the field or on the court. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. and We'll be right back after this message. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we're talking about products that literally fly off the shelf. We're talking about the sports trading cards, how the business has evolved during the pandemic. I'm talking with Jason Oarth, who is the vice president at Panini. And we're talking about all things cards. Do they still sell them with gum? Do they still come with gum? That's over. That's, those days are done. 
you can't do that. The, the cards are too valuable now. You never want that greasy gum on the back of a card. People would, I mean, there are people that put on white gloves when they open up packs, packs of cards now. You could never put this is serious. Them. This is serious business at this point. Serious, right? Business. Yeah, but you, you, that's how they used to. That's how they kind of got started, though, wasn't it? They sold gum, and you got the cards for free. Now it's it's the other way around. It was started way back with tobacco, and then evolved to gum, and then you know you got to this point where the value of the card was worth keeping it to itself and not having anything else in it. Let me ask you a question. You, we tend to think of sports cards as an American obsession, but Panini's roots are Italian, and you have ties to world soccer. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Yep. Panini was started in Modena, Italy in 1960 by a family of brothers, the Panini family. They uh, owned a newspaper company, and they started inserting stickers into those newspapers of Serie A soccer players, the Italian Soccer League. And people started buying more newspapers, and they realized, hey, there's something here. So they jumped into the sticker side of the business in, in terms of you know soccer players. And in 1970, we became a partner of the FIFA World Cup, and we've produced the FIFA World Cup sticker collection every four years since 1970. We've got one coming up here in a little over a year now. Uh, November of 2022 will be our 2022 FIFA World Cup sticker collection, and that is going to be an amazing collection. Are you running that out of the U.S., or is that being run out of Italy? So it's globally, our stickers are printed in, in, um, in two locations in Modena, Italy and in Brazil. And they're just churning out the sticker packets that are sold to, to over 125 countries globally. Mm. Now, are you a collector yourself? I think we're all collectors at some point. It just matters yeah. what you collect. I don't collect as, what, as much as I should. As a kid growing up, I always collected cards. You know, my first memory of collecting cards, I think of that 1987 Bo Jackson Donruss rated rookie card. I remember opening packs and packs of cards, waiting to get that card, and I finally got it. Good for you. Do you still have it? Um, I have it somewhere. It's not nearly <laughs> as valuable as the cards that we sell today, that's for sure, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, what are these cards going for? What are the most expensive cards that you see out there today? You know, I, I know there's some really old collectors, but if you think about, you know, a deck that comes today, what are you, what are you looking at? So on the NFL side, we, we produce over 36 different products and they all have different price points and different brand attributes. So as you go along the, the season, the price of those, those um, products increase because you start to incorporate other, other items into the cards, you know, cutting up jerseys and putting them into cards, the autographs of the players. Uh-huh. You know, the most powerful brand on the globe right now is Prism. Prism is, you know, we sell that in our NFL product. We have... NFL Prism, NBA Prism, UFC Prism, Premier League Prism, FIFA World Cup Prism, pretty much every sport Prism exists. So that's really the the powerhouse brand from a global perspective. And the thing that's unique about Prism is that it's got a unique foil that kind of changes the color and light, hence the word Prism. Every uh, card has a different value associated with it based on the color of the Prism. And so you, you'll see cards routinely sell for anywhere from, depending on the rookie, anywhere from $1,000 to $50,000, you name it. I, th- I think this past summer at uh, the National Sports Collectors Convention, Patrick Mahomes' rookie card, his national treasure is one of one with the NFL shield and his autograph on it sold for $5.3 million. It's a wow. card from 2017. So modern day cards are really driving the marketplace today and driving the value of the cards. Jason, I always talk about 
how businesses are real successful in you know selling content, basically taking content, taking a story. You're you know you're head of marketing. You know the value of that. I hear you. That coming through in your stories, like hey, we put the piece of the jersey with it. We do this. We put different colors with it. How much of your time is spent talking about how we frame that story or that content? A lot of it, even more so now. I mean, you know, every year there's a fresh group of players that come in. Every year there's players that emerge. So you're telling and building off of their stories. And the thing that's most powerful for us is that our product is the player. So as the player performs on the field, we have an opportunity to tell that story with every player that kind of steps in and does something different and special. You ever thought of like taking it and putting it with grass or AstroTurf from the field, those kinds of things? I know my good friend who owned the Yankee stadiums, tore it apart piece by piece. The only thing he couldn't sell was the urinals to Boston because it was the Yankee stadium. That was the only thing he was prohibited in the contract was selling the urinals. Otherwise, he sold everything else. I bet. I bet. And we actually, Jeffrey, you'd be surprised. We do put that type of stuff in our product, in, in our NASCAR product. We'll take up pieces of metal from crashes and races and cut that up and put that into product. We'll cut up the tires. We'll put it into product. There's pretty much nothing we've not put into a product. That's awesome. You know, I used to be the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak. Our driver won the Daytona 500 on the 50th anniversary of that race. I have the lug nuts from his car that they discarded on the ground. And I said, I'm picking those suckers up and right. took that along with the, you know, along with the program and all my name tags and all the stuff, because I was there when we won that. Well, let's talk about NFTs. I mentioned that, and especially around your industry, how do sports cards get on the blockchain and what does that look like? How do they stand out with it? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually started working on the blockchain world, blockchain space, probably back in 2018, trying to dig in to figure out how it related to the trading card category and what were the value points, why it was important for us to be there. And so as we started to do the research, we realized that there was a lot of value in terms of tracking a card through time and ownership of that card. Well, especially security too, right? I mean, you want to make sure it's an authentic card, right? Exactly. And so that's what we started to look at back in 2018. And then in 2020, we launched in January of 2020, we launched our blockchain platform on our website at PaniniAmerica.net. And we did a couple of different things. The first thing out of the gate was it was so early in the space that you know we wanted to make sure collectors understood what was going on in the category and what was going on in the space. So the first thing we wanted to do is make sure that we sold our product in US dollars only. So they didn't have to figure out how do you go get a crypto wallet? What cryptocurrency am I buying? How am I doing all this stuff? We wanted to take that volatility and that part of the process out of it and make it strictly about selling in US dollars. That was the first step. The second step for us in January of 2020 was tying it to a physical card so that in addition to getting the NFT blockchain asset, the digital asset, you also got a physical card that was associated with it. And so because collectors understood the value of the physical card, they knew what the value of a, you know, an autographed Kobe Bryant card was. They didn't know what a value of an autographed digital version of that card would be. And so to really migrate people into the marketplace and migrate people into the community, we had to have that physical element tied to it. Since then, we've launched our NFT assets as purely digital assets. Through time, we've incorporated cards into our physical product that you know were redeemable for NFT assets. 
Uh, so there's that balance. It's one of the point of differences that we have against all these other NFT people in the marketplace. And then, you know, in July, we launched our NFT pack products, starting with the NBA in July. And then we rolled into Major League Baseball Players Association in the UFC. And just yesterday, we launched our NFT instant product for the NFL that went live based on the performances of this past weekend. So those cards, I mean, perfect timing. You talk about timing, Jeffrey. Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick in the NFL, gets his first win in London, and he'll have his first Panini Instant win card this week in our in our oh, total total digital card. Yep, yeah, hundred yeah. percent digital. Never, yeah. never going to be a paper card of it. Never going to be a tangible card other than the the digital. We have a direct product called Panini Instant that's built for direct to consumer, and there's a physical product on that side of it. But there, this one will be an NFT asset that has some differences within that product. So that part that that product will live in the NFT space. It'll be the first. Trevor Lawrence win of his career. Well, let's come back and talk about that. I want to talk about selling virtual products that you never get to feel or touch. You just get to see it on the computer screen. We'll take a break and come back. I want to get to some tangible advertising. I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everybody. We're back and we're talking about sports cards. Now a $5.4 billion industry that has huge demand. Target even pulled it off the shelf because the cards were flying off the shelf. So I've got to check to see if they're still selling those. I got to we'll check back with Jason Hoarth. He's the vice president of marketing for Panini America. Jason, are they still selling them at Target? Yes, they are. They put them back on the shelves. They came up with a plan to kind of manage that process better. And so they're back on the shelves at Target. They never came off the shelves at Walmart unless consumers were buying them. So they're they're out there in the marketplace as well as online. Did you ever, let me ask you a question. Did you ever imagine, well, we were talking about digital beforehand, NFTs. I was recently helping promote Banksy. I don't know if you know Banksy, yep. uh, the artist, and they actually sold eight bricks from one of his paintings that have a, a demolished bu- business or building that came down. And those eight bricks went for about $680,000. And it was part of an NFT campaign that they were selling them as part of an auction. Did you ever think you'd sell, that you could sell a, a digital NFT product, I mean, that you can only see on a computer screen? So we, before the NFT uh, world came into existence for us at Panini, we launched our digital trading card apps back in 2014 with our NBA Dunk app and our NFL Blitz app. Those are digital trading card apps. Uh, There's some games that are played within that app. You collect, you open up packs digitally. And so for us, we, we saw an opportunity for people to collect in the digital space and people were doing it. And, you know, I think the one thing at Panini that we always say is we want to be where collectors are. So however they want to consume our product, whether it's the physical product, whether it's the digital product, whether it's the NFT product, it's our job to make sure that we give them the vehicles to be able to collect how they want to collect. Capturing customer behavior is always a good thing to be able to do. What's the other content you're producing? How else are you telling the story? I always love to see how marketers are using content to tell the brand story. How are you doing that? Every year, there's different players that emerge. And so connecting those players to our stories and to our cards, because they are our product, telling the stories through the eyes of the player and what our product means to them. It's funny. It doesn't matter how special that player is, whether they're a superstar or not. That first time you get a card in your hand and it's your card, it's like a, it's a, it's a moment of validation. You know, you grow up as a kid wanting to play pro sports 
You want to hear your name called by your favorite team when you're drafted. You want to hear your name called for the game-winning shot. Uh, the other side of that is seeing your first trading card. Every year that, that happens with every rookie class. And the designs now are so special that even those superstars, when they look at cards, they stop and take a look before they sign them. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. Can I keep this? Naturally, yeah. have them. no, we need to put it in our product. But, you know, so telling those stories of the players and that connectivity, we have over 2000 athletes that are signing trading cards for us annually across all sports. So we're so connected to the player and being able to tell their story and tie it to our trading card is what makes it so special. Very cool. So because the market's so hot, the industry's embrace of technology, a lot of major investors and institutions are getting involved. How's that changed what you're doing behind the scenes? To be honest, we just need to focus on what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're the ones that are driving the category. We're the ones that are driving the market. And I think the one thing that we're cognizant of is, you know, in the 80s, there was this huge rush on trading cards. Um, and I mentioned collecting Bo Jackson and him not being as valuable today as um, that card is today compared to what's out in the marketplace now. And it's because, you know, those manufacturers back in the 80s, they saturated the marketplace. And so the DNA of a trading card is scarcity. That's what drives the value. And so we need to make sure that we're always maintaining a level of scarcity in the marketplace to make sure that we're propelling that market to make sure that there's long-term value in the card. And we've done that by inserting autographs onto cards, you know, getting players to sign the cards, as I mentioned earlier, you know, getting jerseys and cutting them up and putting them into cards, getting materials, whether that's from a field of play or whether that's a, a banged up car after a NASCAR race and inserting it into a card, you know, creating that value that holds that long-term value over time. But scarcity is what drives the marketplace and what drives the trading card category. And so we're still laser focused on building our product, making sure that we're maintaining the long-term value of the products, that all the other stuff will you know, continue to just feed off of what we're doing in the marketplace. When you see a card go for $5.4 or whatever it might go, are you guys getting that or is that getting to the collector that picked it up? That's the collector. And the, so the collector, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you're opening up a product is that idea that you don't know what's inside the product, what's inside the box. You open up that product and you happen to hit that card. You know that you've hit a big one. That's the value that we bring to the collector and that, you know, when you collect our cards, you, you're collecting them for enjoyment and an inter entertainment. And you may also be able to collect them for value and investment long term. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about this and seeing how content's making a difference. How I love it, scarcity is making a difference. And you taught me there's a belief there's a there's a pony in there somewhere, or in this case, a, a really valuable trading card. One hundred percent. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. What I love to talk about always is about content, content, content. In this case, hey, how to make the content interesting? The little extras you might put in there, the little special things that you might do. To add to that scarcity that he talked about, scarcity, what is it? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, scarcity help leads to higher demand, higher value, and of course, higher prices, which then of course leads to better profits. So, and that's what I think I learned this week was how do, how do I tell the story and then make it so special that it will help drive up the price for the value? There you go, right there. That's what I learned today by listening to about the scarcity of these cards and the, the trading of these cards right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hizzett on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends.
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.